How would you like to be a part of a business that gives back to the community as its core value? Because today's guest on the show is doing exactly that. Although he's been a serial entrepreneur for over 20 years through many ups and downs, and he's got some fascinating stories to share. Hi, my name is Vindya V. This is Art of the Extraordinary, the podcast for those of you who's ready to play a much bigger game and leave an extraordinary legacy behind. I'm glad you're here and it's time to make your quantum leap. Today, my guest on the show is Jason Jane, who is a veteran and the founder of Tattered Beans Coffee. He has been an entrepreneur for 20 years and he's had his ups and downs, but he's always found a way back. Now, Jason is focused on leaving a legacy by giving back to those who are willing to sacrifice everything. He's got some fascinating stories that he's going to share with us and also lots of advice and experience from the experiences that he has had throughout his entrepreneurial journey. And here is Jason today on Art of the Extraordinary. Now, I know about your brand, but there's a lot of people in our audience who probably haven't come across you and your work and your brand. So for those folks, can we please get them up to speed and tell us a little bit about your journey and how did you come about your business? Well, I'm sure they probably haven't really heard of us. Tattered Beans, the coffee company, is only about a few months old. So we are extremely new and wet behind the ears. And how it came about, I was diagnosed with cancer last September. And I had had a cafe and ended up closing that down just due to health reasons and that. And we had a successful coffee company with that. And it was did a lot of fundraising in central Pennsylvania. And from there, I went to my right-hand person and said, I think it, I don't want to see the coffee company go away. I want to rebrand it. But I said, I want to do something that's for veterans. And so we brainstormed and I said, get me the pricing on what we buy the coffee now, what we need to run the company on and what boutique coffee is being sold at online. So we compiled those numbers and we were able to raise the bag of coffee from $8 to 12 to sort of mimic the market. And we give that $4 of our retail bags back to veterans, active duty or first responders that have profiles on my website that we built. So what they do is a veteran, active duty, military member or first responder, they go on our website, Tattered Beans, and they can register and they put a profile on the website and then customers come and they shop for coffee under them. And the customer can shop under as many profiles as they want. And then once they check out, the system tells us who all they bought coffee from. And at the end of each month, we tally up those orders and we cut the people checks for their portion of the sales. Right. That's a very, very interesting concept behind a brand in giving back to the community. So how does it work? So veterans are already registered with you and people can buy stuff under them is that how it works yes yep right right now jason i know that you are coming from a military forces background as well can you please tell us a little bit about how did that turn into becoming an entrepreneur well i always had i guess the entrepreneurial bug even from high school but i went to college on a football scholarship and had an injury and left 
And so my military career was sort of pushed on to me because I was just a bouncer at a local bar. And, you know, my dad looked at me after an incident at the bar and was like, yeah, you're going to do something a little different with your life. So he was in the United States Army. And from there, you know, we just talked about the military and he gave me some advice. And so I joined the Air Force. And from there, I just really enjoyed it. I wanted to be a lifer. I love the regiment. I love how it was run. The camaraderie that you built all fit my mental style of being an athlete, prior athlete. And so for me, I love the security police. So that was my job. And I got stationed out in Montana and I worked at missile security. So we secured the nuclear missiles if they were being worked on and things like that. And so I had a debilitating knee injury and I was given three options to be a cook, admin, or an honorable discharge. And so I chose the honorable discharge. And from there, as I grew business-wise throughout the years, and I had the ability to give back in different businesses, it was just always mentally there to do something that can benefit the military and what the young men and women put into their lives and their family and everything that goes on there. Right. So after you left the military, what was the business that you first started? My first business was a construction company. I always had a construction background growing up. My family was in construction. My dad was a welder. My grandfather and uncle and those guys, they were always in construction. So construction was my first business. It was a dump truck, a backhoe, and a little low boy that was towed behind the dump truck. That was my first gig. Well, transitioning from the forces to business, how did that transition go? And what did you have to learn that you didn't know you needed to before? And what did you have to like, what were the skills or things that you did in the forces that you kind of brought to doing business? A lot. I had to learn a lot. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I mentor young entrepreneurs and one of the first questions that I'm always asked is about business education. And so my initial education from college, I was going to be a teacher. So I often tell them that I don't have that business side of an education. So a lot of my stuff was learned from the school of hard knocks. And I'm sure you've, you know, many people have said that, that are business owners, you know, so the military, what I brought from the military over to the entrepreneurial side was the work ethic. Now, and I had always had a good work ethic because of watching my mother and father growing up, but that just instilled in me, don't give up. Even when you're down, you got to keep fighting, trust and try to rely on other key people around you. You know, so the military really instilled some of those great aspects that I was able to utilize as I continually moved up the ranks in business. And I still to this day use a lot of that that I had learned back in 1993. I think you mentioned a really key point, which is about the work ethic, because I think a lot of businesses, when they start, it's, you know, great. It's motivated, passionate, uh, you know, like full of passion and so excited about things. But then when things start to not go so right all the time, or you do get a knockback, then quite often you are demotivated and you want to just give up. And what's going to keep you going other than the motivation is the work ethic, as you say. 
and which a lot of people miss. You're right. You know, everyone gets the entrepreneurial bug. They don't want to work for the man anymore. They want to spread their wings. They want to do their own thing. A lot of mistakes that they initially make is, you know, they're used to making one particular amount of money when they were working for the man. And then all of a sudden they go and they start their own business and let's just use round numbers. And let's say a paycheck when they were working for the man was a hundred dollars. And now all of a sudden they open their business and their first check is $500. And they think they're just king of the mountain. All of a sudden, you know, mistake one is they go and spend all $500 because they think that that's all their money and they forget that they have the bills and overhead and, and whatever else that goes into that. So, you know, in all actuality, they may have only made $100 still, but they own their own business. So let's talk about what you just said. And then all of a sudden you fast forward a little bit and now all of a sudden the money problems come on or like you said, numerous other problems. And then all of a sudden they get down. They don't know how to you know, crawl back out of the hole. They don't know what to do. And then they get depressed and it's hard for them to regain their footing because a lot of them don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do to get out of the hole that they're in. And sometimes pride gets in the way. They don't ask for help. They don't know where to turn because they look at, you know, especially young entrepreneurs, they look at Instagram and think all they see on, on there is everything's all hunky dorious. You know, guys standing beside a Lamborghini, which more likely probably isn't even his. Um, <laughs> and so they have this vision of business that's so untrue and it's the reality of things and they don't know how to cope. go back to one of the points that you mentioned before, which is about relying on other people around you. Tell me more about that. It's very hard to, I learned this, my wife taught me this years and years and many moons ago. You're never going to find people that have the same passion about your business as you. It doesn't matter how close they are to you or how much you love them or they love you. At the end of the day, it's your business. And it's very hard to find someone else with the exact same passion. And so I always had to learn to lower my expectations of people because I set the bar so high sometimes that it was never going to be achieved. I always wondered why, like, why isn't this getting done this way? Or why isn't that getting done that way? You know, what's taking this so long? Or why were these mistakes made? You know, why didn't you think about it a little more in depth? And some of the reasons were I was expecting them to think like me. So in some cases, that might be, I've got 20 years of business experience over them. So my mind completely works different than theirs. Age in general, you know, I have just more life experience because sometimes people are just younger than me. And so you take a lot of those factors. And I had to learn over the years that just realize that they may still get to point B, they just might go in a roundabout way. And so still appreciate that they like what they do, um, they may not just have the complete passion that I do. So that's probably been one of the biggest learning experiences that I've had to do. And even to this day, you know, I run into those issues. So how do you, in that case, rely on other people with knowing that they wouldn't probably have the same amount of passion that you do and wouldn't go around thinking the same way you do? So how do you do that? <laughs> Take a lot of deep breaths. <laughs> 
<laughs> in all honesty, you take it. I count to 10 a lot. It's tough because, again, I can't be mad at people for not having the same drive or wanting the same end goal. It's funny, there's one individual I follow online and, you know, you see a lot of these internet trolls that will talk about somebody that is more influential financially and they'll be like, oh, why are you showing your cars and this and that? And he had made a post about, listen, you have to have monetary goals in order to be successful. That is very true. And so many people that don't have the same work ethic or don't have the same drive hate on the people that have the drive to want to be successful. And when you have that drive to want to be successful, monetary things just automatically come with it. I mean, if you're a little bit more successful, you know, you might buy, you might go from a Toyota to a BMW and then you'd be a, you're a little bit more successful. Then you go from a BMW to maybe a Mercedes and you're a little bit more successful and you go from a Mercedes to a Maserati, you go from a Maserati to a Lamborghini and, and you keep, you know, stepping up and maybe your home steps up, but that goes in correlation with a hard work ethic and putting the time and putting your dues in. The problem that I have is that where was my own personal issue that I had to fix and still fixing is that I can't assume that the people that I work with or people that I know or that I'm mentoring have the same desire and financial desires that I do. So they may not want to be financially that successful. Maybe they just want to pay their bills. Maybe they just want to, you know, they don't want the huge house. They don't want to have to put in all that extra work. They want to be a business owner and they want to be their own business owner, but maybe being a millionaire isn't their goal. So for me, one of my first goals is I wanted to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. And, you know, I made that in about four months into my 30th birthday, but not everyone has that goal. So I can't be upset at that person, but maybe I have to evaluate if I want that person within my inner circle because if they don't want that same type of financial drive, then I'll guarantee you that they'll weigh me down or other people within my organization or my circle down also. But you brought up a, such a key point because I think there is a fine balance between having the people who have got the same drive and the passion to go for the monetary or the more tangible goals, as well as the people who are great at doing what you're not good at. And they might not necessarily have the goals that you have, but it doesn't really matter as long as they're doing what they're good at and they are being, you know, like that person who is filling the gap that we don't have. So I guess it's finding the balance between the two. Absolutely. That's a great analogy because you do, you have to circle yourself with great people. You know, that's one thing, you know, I tell the people around me that, listen, I don't know everything, whether I'm this old and you're that young. I mean, you know, I love to listen to fresh ideas. You know, I may not go with it. And a lot of times you'll bring me the idea and I'll help you understand more of it because then that's where the age and, and time in business and the ups and downs that I've had will help bring that person and elevate them if they want to listen and learn. A lot of the times as a business owner, it's hard to do that, to be quite honest, because people's egos get in the way. So one of the biggest problems that I've had is trying to, through the years, educate people when they bring you something and you have a discussion about maybe some changes to it or what thinking about this and 
sometimes, you know, those people mentally just shut you off. And if they would have just listened, they would have learned and gained a lot of knowledge and understood that. No, I like your idea. It just needs a little tweaking and here's why. But sometimes their pride gets in the way or their egos and that stops them from bettering themselves. Well, moving on to about the other businesses that you've done, I know about something that you've done before is about a housing development project. Is that like the second one? or Because I'm really keen to talk about it. So the housing development, that's probably one of my funnest projects. One, because... I got to name two streets after my kids. So I have a, there's a Sydney street and a Katie lane. Nice. And uh, that's something that once I move on in life, those streets are always going to be there. That's always been pretty cool. That's been one of my fun projects. That project, I worked hard and I lived in a housing development from another housing developer. And there is land available down where I had grown up and the land had already had two or three other developers go bankrupt or lose the land previously. And I went to this other partner and said, listen, I have a little bit of money. You have the experience. Would you want to partner up and do a housing development with me? And he said, yeah. And so mentally I was thinking like, all right, cause this guy was, there's a 40 year age gap. So what I'm thinking is I'm going to suck his brain dry of information. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm so psyched about this. And so I went down and I laid it out myself and a couple of my workers and I get back and we're talking about it and I'm ready to just, you know, get all this information from him. And he looked at me and he goes, Oh yeah, no, I just expect the check. He goes, quote, people love to talk about their job. So you need to make phone calls and learn how to do this. And I looked at him like, are you serious? <laughs> you know? And he's like, yep. So he wasn't lying. <laughs> you know, I had to call the township and ask questions and talk to the contractors about putting in the roads and learn how the every foot of road costs $421 and why it costs that and what goes into it. And it was a learning experience. But I tell you what, that was something that I had taken with me even to this day in other businesses is don't be afraid to just jump. You'll learn how to swim. You're going to learn how to live, you know, and survive. Just jump and do it. And he made me jump. And that was probably one of the coolest things. And it also taught me to think outside the box, you know, because I'm not big on going in and bullying my way in into a business with a township or a building owner, if you want a lease or something like that, it's like you want to go in to be able to negotiate. Like every problem has a solution. So you just have to get to it and you have to be able to communicate about it. So when I went to that township with my initial plans, they said they wanted sidewalks in. So mentally I'm thinking, well, man, my lots are very long and wide. So that's going to cost a homeowner, which we were building the houses for. That's going to cost them a lot. And then they're going to have to main, you know, so in the United States, like, they have to maintain them with snow and things like that. Or if something was to happen, they can get in a lot of trouble. So I went to the township and said, Hey, can I just make my road wider knowing that it would be cheaper to do that? And then I wouldn't have issues with the homeowners. And they said, well, we would require more lighting. And I said, okay. And the local electric company for free, they had three type of street lights that I got to pick from. And you could have as many as you wanted. So it didn't cost me any extra money. So that taught me to think outside the box. 
I looked, I was able to look at the numbers and said it would be cheaper for us overall to make the road wider. The homes, they paid for the light. So I put lights every 150 feet instead of every 300 feet so that people could walk on the street. So it was a huge learning experience in thinking outside the box, communicating, negotiating, and ultimately looking at the whole entire scope from the homeowners to the township to the safety of the people walking. So if I ask you about the other two developers who started the same project but didn't really get it to work, the key difference between why you succeeded and they didn't was because they didn't dig deep enough and they didn't really go find out what was going on and you actually did that, which is not something that a lot of people do or is there anything else in there? Well, good example is you're familiar with natural gas. So (laughs) natural gas from my development was about, if I'm not mistaken, about a mile away. And so that's a considerable distance. And natural gas is a big component of success in developments because you've got fireplaces and people don't want to run propane and then they've, you know, it's just cheaper in general comparative to electric. So if you have natural gas, you can be pretty successful. So the other developers didn't think outside the box to be able to be successful in this area because I went to the gas company and said, listen, here's the deal. What is it going to take for you, (laughs) the gas company, to get me a line roughly a mile away. And they said, we got to have every one of the homes have got to be on gas. I said, no problem. We have to have at least a fireplace in the homes on natural gas, no problem. So it was just, again, it was a problem. The solution was absolutely, we can put gas furnaces in, we can run washer and we can run dryers on gas, we can run fireplaces on gas. So see the point? I just went and negotiated with them on what it's going to cost them and guaranteed them the ability that they're going to, this is a good investment for you. You have 110 homes down here that will be on gas. So they saw the benefit of that. And then they saw other development because once one thing goes in, other things follow. So once I put the development in, there were other homes and other things built, and they could also, as they were running lines, pick up other businesses as it came down. So it was a huge benefit financially for them. So again, that was thinking outside the box that others didn't. And same with the layout. I wasn't moving a ton of earth. I mean, these other developers were looking to try to level land and do all this, and it, you know, the cost was just astronomical. Or I'm like, we'll just build the house into the side of the mountain. <laughs> you'll just have a bigger front yard. You know, you just, you'll sell that piece of land for a little cheaper because it's going to have a little bit more construction costs. So again, thinking outside the box, you know, not losing a sale. How do you not lose a sale? Well, you lower your price. You negotiate it. If, you know, you have to teach the homeowner on how the house would look on the lot. So it's a lot of vision that the successful entrepreneurs have and they can see it and they can explain it and get other people to love their vision. Mm. It sounds like one thing that you clearly did really well was that rather than going in with a, like a cookie cutter solution, you went in being curious about the problems and went and asked the right people 
about the solution. So like the people who had the resources, like the gas company, the electrical companies, rather than you trying to solve it by yourself, not having the background, and you utilize them to the best to get the best solution out of them. Absolutely. Why reinvent the wheel, right? Just make it a little bit better. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no sense in reinventing it. It's just coming up with a tweaking it a little bit and making it fit your specific situation. I don't want to reinvent the wheel, just how to make it better that it works for that particular scenario for me. Absolutely. Well, Jason, I'm sure you have had your ups and downs in business and downs that a lot of people don't even see because we usually see the upside most of the time. So I just want to ask you, what is your philosophy in dealing with setbacks or failures? And like, how would you go about it doing it right now that you didn't do before? Oh, I've been bankrupt twice. I take big chances. When I fail, I want to fail big, you know, because that's the mindset. My first bankruptcy, what I learned was when you're going up against a Goliath, and this was against a multi-international billion dollar company, it was going to be a loss loss for me, no matter what, you know, you just, I had to take that one on the chin, even though it wasn't my problem and they had caused it, they were just too big for me to be able to fight it. So I learned very quickly. And that was within my first three years of business. I learned very quickly that people only care about themselves, you know, when they're that big, when they're that big of a company and you're that small, they don't have time to generally work with you or they don't care about your problems. They have a system. They're going to follow the system. They're going to go ABCD. If you don't meet ABCD, here's the result. I don't know what to do. Can't help you. So that was a huge learning experience for me because again, I live with every problem has a solution. So how can we fix the problem? And with them, it was like, you have the problem and we're not going to help you fix it. So that was a tough pill to swallow. And then I made myself successful again, financially, work ethic, thinking outside the box again. And the second time, second failure was I just got some really bad information and had an attorney just not file paperwork correctly and in a timely fashion. And that one cost me big time. And what I learned from that was I should have babysat. You go into hire people that has specific qualifications. Like you go to a doctor's office, you go to a doctor, you know, to get well, and you go to that doctor for a specific reason, or you go to a mechanic to fix a car for that specific reason. And I went to this attorney for a specific reason and, you know, he dropped the ball, which ended up costing me big time. And each time I got knocked down, I had to dust myself off and save my pennies and work hard and rebuild myself back up. And continually to this day, you know, you have to constantly fight. What I've learned through the years is to really do the research outside of what even our attorneys tell us. I will Google, I will read up on it and try to educate myself, not necessarily to their level, but I will definitely, when we're having a conversation, I will definitely know what we're talking about. And I will ask questions and I'm not afraid to ask questions, which a lot of young entrepreneurs, like, you know, they don't want to offend anybody or they are afraid to ask that really hard question. Or maybe if the attorney gives them advice, you know, they're afraid to question them about that advice. It's like, dude, you're paying the money. You're paying them for advice. Like you can ask as many questions as you want, you know, like dive in there, get to know what your business is doing and all the legalities of things. And so 
for me, it was learning to dust myself off, keep learning to ask questions, not to be afraid to ask questions, but to never give up. Even after failure, my third time being a millionaire has been probably my greatest because I've had to do it so many times. So that's been the cool thing, crappy thing also, but it's been the cool thing also. Well, I know that Tattered Beans is a fairly new company. So given all your experience in other businesses that you've had, what kind of lessons are you bringing to this business as a result of what you've learned from your mistakes or things that you could have done differently? So my mistakes, what have taught me coming forward with Tattered Beans is that you got to circle yourself with the right people. You have to put in the work. You have to realize that not everyone is going to like your product, no matter what, or your mission. That's probably been the biggest one that I've had to learn, even to this day, is why don't you like something that I'm doing, like the core of a restaurant or the layout of the land? You know, so there's been things mentally as you're building your business, you're so passionate and you love it that when someone says, I don't like it, you take it personal. And I used to do that all the time. You know, like, what do you mean you don't like this sandwich? This recipe's great. Or what do you mean you don't like this view? Like we laid out the road specifically for this view. What are you talking about? You know, and, and so what I've learned now is when people, another business, you know, they can't work with tattered beans or, you know, they might like the mission, but they're tied in with another company, you know, so they can't work with us. I don't get as, as offended. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm mad. You know, I'm just like, cause I don't still understand it, but I don't get as frustrated as I used to. So I brought that in growth, like personal growth. That's been huge for me to deal with. Well, working with young entrepreneurs and you saying that you mentor new businesses a lot, from your experience, what are like some of the common mistakes that new or even growing businesses make? Patience. Patience mm-hmm. is a number one thing. And patience is because, yeah, I'm 47. So, you know, back when I was getting started, the bag phone was just coming out. So, um, <laughs> you know, the internet wasn't huge. So patience, patience is the number one thing that I I talk to people about and getting them to realize that what they see on Instagram, what they see on Twitter, what they see on Facebook, a lot of times is complete false. They have to give their business time. You know, like, listen, you just started a t-shirt company. You're not going to have a private jet within the first year. You're probably not going to have a private jet in the first 10 years and more likely probably aren't going to have a private jet. So getting them to understand that is very, very hard. Don't get me wrong. That was one of my issues when I first really made it. When we started doing millions of dollars, there was an older gentleman that mentored me. And I remember he had a big house and it was on acres and acres of ground. And he had four cars and all this equipment. His construction company was huge. And what did I do? You know, well, I already had the bigger house, but I went out and bought more cars and, you know, I had four wheelers and boats and jet skis and this and that. And I remember him telling me, he looked at me, he goes, took me 30 years to get all this stuff. (laughs) He goes, you know, what are you doing? And so he never minced words with me, which was great. And it was so true. You know, he's like, dude, you can only drive one car. I guess you could drive home and 
get a different one and drive it to get the second part of the day. But he goes, why do you have four, you know? And he educated me, you know, at such a young age, you know, as a young entrepreneur, that a lot of the things that he said had, has stayed with me over the years, you know, like a big one. Friendship is friendship, business is business. If you can't understand that I might chew your butt and then expect us to go to lunch and be able to separate the two, then we can't work together. You know, we'll either just stay friends or just business. One of the two. So I was able to listen, that's a key word, listen to other great people around me to what their issues were from financially, maybe from a relationship standpoint, how they were as parents, that I was able to maybe mold myself or change some of my philosophies and go from there. So as the young entrepreneurs that I talk to, I'm just like, patience, dude, like just give things time and be passionate about what you do. And don't ever bring family and friends into your passion because they're not going to have the passion you have. And don't expect them to support you because a lot of them aren't going to. And if you have that expectation of friends and family that are going to support you, you're going to be let down very quickly. And that's going to ruin a lot of relationships. So have zero expectations from them other than they're going to want a t-shirt for free, or they're generally going to want to eat for free if you have a restaurant or something like that. So you have to lower your expectations from that side of things. And that's probably one of the key things that I talk to a a lot of people about is stop relying on friends and family with stuff. Well, I guess it has got a lot to do with why you see a lot on the internet, as you say, on Instagram, like you see the clickbaity type of titles saying, oh yeah, make a million bucks in 60 days or even less, right? So I think people have got a very, I'd say, uh, a distorted reality of what it takes to really become successful and to make a great business that would sustain long term. So I think that's a hard pill to swallow because everyone wants like a magic bullet that would just give them that edge. Let's talk Instagram for a second. Instagram in itself is horrible for God knows a million reasons, but People think that they're so popular on Instagram. Let's say they have 100,000 followers. But what they don't realize is they'll go, because I've heard it. It's amazing. They'll come in and they'll say, oh, I'm famous on Instagram. I have 100,000 followers. Okay, that's cool. Like, there's how many billion people in the world? Like, where are you most popular? You know, are you popular in Pennsylvania? You know, like, where are you popular at? It's not like you're a movie star where you just sold $23 million and you were in 450 cities and seven countries. You know, it's so you have to really look at Instagram for what it is. And it is this platform that gives so many falsehoods and it's so sad because it makes people think, one, that they're popular. It gives businesses the falsehood that they're going to be successful if they have 10,000 followers or 100 likes or whatever. And in all reality, they're just a huge machine and they're very good at it in making sure they get their money from those people that are just striving to use their platform so that they can say, well, I have this many followers or this many likes. And so I use this as a business. It's not that way anymore. They changed the platform. And with the platform, it's, 
you know, they're expecting you to pay to become popular and to showcase your stuff to the people that already follow you. And so as young entrepreneurs, I always go back to grassroots, get out, shake hands, introduce yourself to people around your specific market. So if you have a business that can be nationwide, then you have to be able to market yourself nationwide and still be able to shake hands from a distance. So the great thing is, is phone calls and FaceTimes and get to know other business owners that way so that you can grow your, your business organically comparative to all this just you know, paying $33 to boost your stuff to people that are in a country that are not going to buy your product. It's a complete waste of money. So that's probably one of the biggest things that I'm talking mentor on is being as effective with your expenditures and your money and what you're going to do as possible. Jason, what's the goal and what was like the thought behind starting Tata Beans? The goal is to give back ultimately. And there is a huge pay gap with our first responders and active military and with what happens with veterans once they get out. Tattered Beans is and has the ability to bridge that gap a little with an income. So we're making entrepreneurs out of everyone that signs up. So they get their own personalized link and they're able to go and sell and market themselves as much as they want. They can put it on all their social media platforms. They can go to, you know, if they have a friend that or a colleague or a business that they frequent a lot that sells coffee, we give them the ability to sell commercially. We try to promote one of our vets the best that we can and getting them to understand that this is a business to you. It's not a donation. You work hard, you sell coffee, you make a portion of those sales. And they don't have to invest in it. They don't have to buy coffee from us. They don't have to get a starter pack. They don't have to buy samples. They don't have to do those things. They just get a profile and they get a link and they just have to push it and sell, sell, sell. And they'll make money on it. Well, if you could go back to the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey, what would you change about how you did things? Man, that's a good question. I say I would never change anything in life. And so I wouldn't change anything because everything that happened through all the years of being an entrepreneur, I've used those as stepping stones to strengthen my foundation to where I'm at today. So I wouldn't change anything. I will only keep making forward progress and learning from mistakes, learning from positive situations so that I can have more positive situations from the negative mistakes that I made in the past. Well, you shared with us a lot of great advice that you have been given. What would you say is like the best advice you've been given throughout business? Don't trip over the nickel to get to the quarter. (laughs) Too many people forget once they start to grow business-wise, they forget where they came from. They think they're too big to pick up that nickel on their way to get that quarter. And I think when businesses get to that point, they lose their focus in how they started. All of us, every single one of us started from nothing. Even if you're a trust fund baby and born with a silver spoon or any other analogy you want to use, 
you know, you still had a business that started with nothing. You might've had more money to start it than maybe me or whatever, but everyone started something from scratch and, and you just can't forget the beginning, man. We all were scratching for that nickel, right? We wanted that nickel so bad, we, you know, <laughs> because we were on our way to that quarter. Now, all of a sudden, you know, we're a little bit more popular. Our business has grown and, you know, we're making a million dollars a year and we're at that quarter now, you know, and then all of a sudden we think we're too good to pick up that nickel. And so that's one thing I always tell people, don't trip over the nickel to get to the quarter. Well, what would you say is the worst advice you've been given? Oh, I don't know. That attorney gave me some really bad advice. <laughs> so that, uh, yeah. So the worst advice from like another entrepreneur or just in general? In general. Could be in general or an entrepreneur. Whatever comes to your mind. Well, we got some bad, bad advice from an attorney one time that really got us in trouble. So I would say that advice was really bad. I don't know. See, I don't think I ever get bad advice because even if it caused me a loss, that advice taught me something. And whether it taught me because I had to restart over, it taught me to not give up. It might have taught me to, again, how I said earlier, just because someone gives you advice, like an attorney or a doctor or something like that, like go out, educate yourself. There's a ton of information out there on the internet. Read, learn. Don't be too prideful to think that you know everything or you're too lazy to just let them do their job. You have to babysit even them. So I don't want to say that I ever got bad advice because that advice that I had gotten, I had used that to better myself in some way. Well, having been through this entire journey, what's the number one thing you've learned about yourself? I'm a fighter. <laughs> Whether it's you know, with my health now or with the cancer or with the different business losses, I'm going to wake as long as I get the ability to wake up the next morning and put my feet on the ground. I'm breathing. I can make my day what I want. You know, a lot of people can't do that. And so like when you and I had first talked, you know, you asked how I was doing, I said, Hey, I'm above ground. Life's good. I literally mean that I'm above ground. So life's good. So you get to make it what you want. And, and so being a fighter through different business losses, I've learned to, though it's tough to cut ties and walk away and, you know, whether you take it on the chin or, you know, just be able to deal with that and move on has been one of the attributes that I've had to learn and really build myself up to. Because when I would have a loss early on, I felt so horrible. I felt like the biggest loser what was everybody going to think about me in my hometown? And, you know, even though I lived away and what are other people going to think, you know, and, and then I got to the point to where it's like, well, hell, I was trying to make stuff happen. <laughs> They're not doing anything. Why do I feel ashamed? Like I'm out there trying to start my own business and being an entrepreneur. And these are the things that happen. You know, sometimes you get knocked down and you got to get back up. And so I stopped feeling bad for myself and stopped caring what other people thought. So again, I wake up the next day and, you know, I'm ready to go, ready to give life another day to fight. Well, Jason, I would like to keep you for much longer and learn a lot more from you because I believe that you've got a lot to share. 
but I do realize that I can't do that. So for the folks in the audience who would like to get in touch with you and learn more about Tata Beans and spread the word about you and the great work you're doing, how can they do that? So tatterbeans.com is our website. So if you're listening and you have a vet or uh, active duty member or first responder member, family, you know, get them on, get them signed up, get them a link, start making them some money. I'll brag a little bit. The coffee's fantastic. So you're helping out and you're making entrepreneurs out of these men and women, which is awesome. And so tatterbeans.com. And if you want to talk to me personally, I answer my own DMs on Instagram. You can get me at Jake Gene Official. So, and I love mentoring and answering questions, even some of the crazy ones you get on the internet. <laughs> we get them all day. I'm sure you get them too. It's like, oh man. It's like, who's on the other line here? <laughs> That'd be another story for another day. <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> um, well, Jason, thank you so much for everything that you shared and for coming on the show. It was such a great chat. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time. Don't trip over the nickel to get to the quarter. What sound advice. Now, that is our episode for today. I hope you enjoyed that. Please go and check out tatteredbeans.com, the website. And if you can join or participate or support them in any way, please do so. And as always, go check out the show notes at vindiav.com. You will get the summarized version of the podcast as well as the key links and the resources that Jason shared. So until I meet you next time, keep at it in your extraordinary journey.